everybody. Welcome back to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball podcast where we touch on baseball history, the odd, the absurd, the hopefully entertaining uh, history of baseball. I am Jeff Paulson, my co-host, as usual, staring at me right across this desk is Mark A. Johnston. Say hello, Mark. Oh, it's good to be here. It's always good to chat about the greatest game ever invented. Yeah, so let's uh, let's steer away from the greatest game ever invented and talk about the second greatest game ever invented. We're deep into curling season, and I just wanted to talk about last night's Jeff, match. Jeff, y- yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's probably not a lot of people that tune into this show to learn about curling. I'm, oh. I'm just a suggestion. I'm thinking we stick to baseball. Oh, I heard we were big in Canada, so I thought maybe we um, would... Yeah, we should probably just stay in our lane, huh? Lacrosse, maybe. At least they're using a stick, you know, like a bat. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, let we'll we'll stick to baseball. What do hey, you say? No, I, I I think that's a good idea. Yeah, and you know, I want to talk baseball because as as we've talked about in the past shows, I, I just got back from Japan where I went to the, the first two games of the major league season this year between the uh, Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners, and I want to talk about what I saw there because it was it was pretty cool. Oh, um, it was. I was I was pretty jealous, but uh, I uh, didn't get angry and, and curse you out or anything. Well, and, and the way your Mariners performed, there's no reason for you to be angry. No, and uh, just so you know, I did watch the games live, so it was two thirty in the morning. I but... I know I was texting with you during the games. I was impressed. Yeah, I couldn't miss it. It's the start of baseball season. I can't n- not watch the opening game. Well, it was it was quite a show. I mean, before that, before the actual games themselves, it was it was fun leading up just walking around the city, mainly not really walking around, mainly sitting on a, a subway getting around the city. It's so large, but the uh, the amount of baseball that I just saw around the city was very very cool. It was, you know, baseball is the national pastime in Japan as it used to be here in the states. And between that and sumo wrestling, that really kind of encompasses the Japanese sporting life. And I did not get to a sumo match, though. I was a little disappointed about that. Little known fact, I trained as a sumo wrestler for about four hours. (laughs) That was at the all-you-can-eat buffet, wasn't it? It, Well, two of the hours were there, and then the other two saying, no, I promise I'll get up in a second. Well, it was cool, I thought, because there were Ichiro ads, there were Otani ads everywhere in the city. Uh, Ichiro apparently pitches everything in Japan. There were vitamin drinks, uh, technology that I have no idea what it actually was, but it was something to do with technology. Uh, He pitches watches, but Otani is the the big watch guy there. Everywhere I went, I, I saw Otani watch ads, um, but it, it was cool just to see. You don't see that as much in the states. You see it from more football players than than, bas- uh, than basketball than baseball players. So I thought that was pretty cool. Right. No, that is cool. Uh, you're right. You see, you see a lot of uh, football players pitching stuff. Basketball players. We don't see a whole lot of baseball players advertising for anything but. You know, yeah. baseball. Hey, oh, and an occasional Mike Trout Subway, which I think I think Mike <laughs> Trout now owns all of Subway, doesn't he? With the contract, I think that was part well, of it. If he didn't, 
Yeah, if he didn't, he should because he's got the money. To Probably buy him. buy him twice over. Good for him, though. It's good yes, for him. Absolutely. So let's talk about let's talk about the Tokyo Dome real quick and, and and the games that were there. So I was there. One of our mutual friends was there. Our, our friend Mitch was there, who is also in baseball production as we are. And it was interesting because I know as soon as I walked in there the first game, I started just noticing things about the Tokyo Dome, which I thought was was rather strange. It's first of all, it's not a new stadium. It's it's a rather I, I don't know exactly how old it is, but it's not new, but it's in perfect condition. But they only had two video screens in the entire stadium. The big one kind of out in center field, and then they had a smaller version in the back behind home plate. But that was it. No no LED, you know, ribbon boards or anything that is flashing ads or, you know, make noise, that kind of stuff, which was, I, it was kind of surprising. But then knowing Japanese baseball, where they just cheer the whole game themselves, it, it wasn't super surprising, but it was interesting to just not have that kind of visual stimuli of, of LEDs everywhere. So it's sort of old school. And it was. It was, remember back when there was just a small LED board in center field, a, a lamp matrix kind of amber board, and everything else was just static ads. It was, it was kind of more like that, which was which was fun. Yeah, yeah, I remember I remember the days in the kingdom. That's pretty much what yeah, it was like. Yeah, I, I remember going to the kingdom as well, and exactly, that's what it was, exactly what it was like. Uh, the sp- the sound system though was incredible, despite the fact I could not find a single speaker anywhere in the stadium. So you you know, and usually in domes you've got speakers hanging from the ceiling, or you know maybe there's some speakers on you know different levels, kind of on on the edges there. N- couldn't find them. I uh, did not see a single speaker anywhere, but the sound system was was great. I I could hear every word that was said and. I was impressed with with their game. I mean, it was a very generic game presentation because it was a MLB kind of special production, and you know they cheered for both teams. But it was it was uh, a crisp, you know, crisp production in both Japanese and English, and uh, a very polite crowd too, as you can as you can imagine. Sure. Now, did they announce all the players first in Japanese and then in English? No, no. They they would make announcements like, you know, okay, now here are the Oakland Athletics, you know, non-starters and trainers. They would say that in both English and Japanese, but all the names were just in English, okay. it, including Ichiro and uh, Kikuchi, which I guess you just say their names. That's pretty much Japanese. but well, Right, <laughs> but it's, it's the intro, you know. Yeah, but I mean, everything else was, was, you know, they had somebody there that spoke both English and Japanese. So the some translators, uh, yeah, the, the, the English was still uh, some rather unique um, translations, <laughs> even even what they would put up in English on the scoreboard. There were some rather unique translations, but. Tell me they put all your base are belong to us. No, they did not. Even when Ricky was was there to to swing and miss, they didn't they didn't put all your base are belong to us anywhere. That kind of bumps me out. Yeah, but I I was glad that at least Griffey also struck out because I was catching some grief because I was wearing a Ricky jersey while I was there. Uh-oh. 
you know, <laughs> he politely swung and missed in that first game, but Griffey did as well in the second game. So, yeah, that was good. Um, beyond that, though, the uh, I mentioned how polite the fans were. I love. I knew about. I knew about most of these things before I went there, but I love the whistles. They're not actually whistles that the ushers blow when a foul ball is coming towards a section to alert everybody that, hey, you're about to get hit. But they're they're little handheld things that sound just like whistles. But during batting practice, my goodness, it's just like a a sea of whistles everywhere because, you know, balls are going into the stands everywhere and eight different ushers are blowing whistles. And every time a ball goes into the stands, a safety officer immediately runs over there. Is everybody okay? Is everybody okay? And uh, it was interesting. Also, a lot of ball boys everywhere. They they lined the uh, the warning track with ball boys, which they don't do here in the states. So you know, during BP, if a ball isn't caught, the ball boy would run and get it. And then throw it in as opposed to a relief pitcher, you know, eventually making their way over and picking it up and throwing it in. So so there's no, they're not shagging. No, unless it comes right to them, they're not moving. Interesting. <laughs> um, I posted some pictures of the beer girls in the stands. This, I knew about it, but until I saw it in person, it it's fascinating. Uh, they, and they serve throughout the entire game, by the way. There's no seventh inning cutoff in, in Japanese <laughs> baseball, which I heard a lot of American fans commenting about, and they were super excited, especially the 12-inning game. They served oh, sure. all the way through the game. I guess but, uh, a lot more people take public transportation. Maybe oh, yeah. the risks of, of driving while inebriated aren't as great. So yeah. that's kinda, that makes sense. But I... So, you know, as soon as the game starts, they've got these mini kegs on their back and they're wearing, you know, kind of short skirts and and different tops, depending on on what they're pedaling. But they are just running down the stairs as fast as they can to get to the bottom. And then they turn around, they politely bow and then they raise their hand and they start walking up, you know, kind of telling you what they're selling. And, you know, by the middle of the first inning they are all just sweating they all have towels tucked in kind of to their front so they can dab their foreheads because they are working out they are it's like running stairs you know as hard as you can for three hours i was i was impressed because they had the kegs strapped to their back that is impressive i would last i mean i was going to say like 10 seconds but i don't think i'd get there i'd last a step and a half i think well I, i would have fallen down you know going down running down with that thing on my back Oh, for sure. You would have. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. By the way, they also sell hard alcohol. <laughs> Some of these girls have whiskey on their back. Like, they, the they don't they play. Do? Yeah. Like, oh, you don't wow. have to get up. If you want a mixed drink, you got to get up. But if you just want a shot, they will come right to you. So I need to know, uh, does in, do any of them vend sake? Yes, they do. I had one. Nice. I'm a big sake fan. And yeah, when I saw that, actually, my wife saw it first and she goes, she's got sake. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to have to get that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm uh, I've tried sake and, um, you know, you can have mine. 
Oh, I, I will take it. I've got a lot of, actually have a, quite a bit downstairs right now. Of course Wait. you do. You just got back from Japan. What if I told you none of it came from Japan? Well, it actually I did, it. but yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big sake fan. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy sake. So, but you know, when these girls were, were running up and down, I, it's just like, I was watching my, I was watching them. My wife was watching them and every, you know, everybody else was watching them that was from the States, not because they're wearing short skirts and, you know, I'm, they're obviously, you know, picked, hand-picked. Sure. They're, they're not unattractive. But right. just, you know, they're always smiling, have their hand up, waving, and then they're running with these heavy things on their back. It was really impressive. That is incredible. I have no idea. Um, so beyond that, the games themselves, from my point viewpoint, stunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually rather enjoyed them. Um, I, I really dislike... 80% of the A's bullpen and that's pretty much their entire pitching staff. So it's going to be, could be a tough season for me from the bullpen, but the game was fun. Like I said, the fans were super polite. You know, they would, they would even clap when the A's would do something. Well, obviously Ichiro, everybody was there for Ichiro. Sure. During BP, it was, you know, it was full just watching him. He started both games in right field uh, both Mitch, who I mentioned earlier, and I, we knew he wasn't going to play the whole game, so we were kind of watching, you know, about halfway through. And the first game, I know, I know, Mitch said it to me, and I, I said it to him. I, I saw that Ichiro was coming out that first game, and I saw the guy running. I forget who it was who, who took his place, but I saw him head out of the dugout before the announcement was made. So. You know, I I stood up and watched. I was watching the fans more than Ichiro, though, and just the love. I mean, he is just he could run for uh, prime minister, I think. There, I mean, <laughs> he is just loved. And then the, of course, the his last game, uh, it was you know, it was just as much. And then his his victory lap afterwards was great. So it was yeah. an incredible experience. I, I I'm really glad that I, I got the opportunity to go and and see. Not just the you know the games, but to see Ichiro and and the love for him there. Yeah, that's awesome. And the next one, I'm definitely gonna go. Yeah, I figure that'll probably be our next trip to Japan too. We're definitely going back. Yeah. Only we stayed in Tokyo for for nine days and didn't even see half the city. I mean, it's just it's incredible. It has five major league clubs within Tokyo. That's amazing. I did get to a the uh, the Yakult Swallows Stadium. It wasn't open. I kind of peered through an an open gate and walked around, but that's the the only other stadium I got to. All of the the other three, which are other domes, are all the city is so big. It's just I, I it would have taken me an hour or two to get there, even on the train. So wow, yeah. I've heard but I'm excited it, to go back too. Is it still the biggest city in the world? I've heard that. I would assume it is. I mean, it is just, it's massive. Yeah. And you can tell my voice is going up and down because I still have this cold. But yeah, it is massive. It is. We went up onto one of the observatories and just walking around, it's like you, you can't even see the end of the city. It's just wow. incredible. So since we're talking about Japan and baseball, I, I do want to, at one point, I am definitely going to do a show 
uh, on the high school baseball tournament, which I think just started right now. The Koshin, Koshin. I don't know how you say it. I've heard of this. Every every major league Japanese player has played in this. I mean, it and it's in front of sellout crowds, and it's really high quality high school baseball. So I definitely want to cover that in one of our shows. But I thought it would be fun, Mark, if we talked about some gaijin some some actual american or let's not say american let's say former major leaguers that have spent some time in the japan league yeah there's quite a number of them actually yeah it it is now before we get into the stories though let's just talk let's set the rules for the nippon baseball league because they actually have rules limiting the number of foreign players that are allowed on the roster they can have a maximum of three position players or three pitchers. So you can't have four position players or four pitchers. It's just, you know, three position players, one pitcher, one position player, three pitchers, two of each, something like that. Right. So there can only be on your active roster four at a time. Right. Now, within your organization, though, you can have as many as you want. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask that. You can stick them all. You can sign a whole team and put them down in the minor leagues if you want. I'm sorry, those rules have uh, changed over the years. You're talking about the 2002 until currently, uh, the rules. Correct. And, but yeah. before that, there was sometimes there was no limit. Some uh, Real early, there was no limit. And then at one point, it was only two uh, gaijin that were allowed. Um, so it's changed over the years. But you were just you just gave us the rundown on the current rules, yes. Yeah, and I was actually did some reading on... You know, it, it's it's a debatable topic in Japan as to whether that rule should change. And the train of thought that I got from the couple of articles I read is that, one, it's a little bit of racism that the Japanese don't want foreign players there, mm-hmm. but also that they really enjoy seeing talent from their home country play. Sure. And so that's why they really would rather, you know, keep the limit as uh, limit in place so that they can see their hometown, you know, players play sure. more. So what let's let's talk about some former major leaguers that have made their way over there. The uh let, let I'll I'll start with one. So let's start with Joe Pepitone, somebody that was quite a character here in the states and he equally made an impression when he went over to Japan. So in 1973, he accepted an offer to play for the Yakult Atoms, which are now the Yakult Swallows, for $70,000 to play for one year. So while in Japan, he hit a robust 163 with one home run and two RBIs in 14 games. Well, at least he got that second RBI. Yeah. So, or well, it could have been a two two-run home run. Who knows? But... Pepitone spent his days skipping games, claiming he was injured, so he just wouldn't show up to most games. But then he'd be spotted at night in discos, having fun, you know, cavorting with the with the locals uh, at the bars. Which actually, uh, this actually caused the Japanese to work his name into the, the into their vernacular. So in Japan, if somebody says you're a pepitone, it means you're a goof off. No kidding. Yeah. So not not a good first impression there by Joe Pepitone. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Actually, uh, there's I have sort of a slight connection to uh, one of the great guys in uh, 
in uh, NPB history, and that is uh, the one and only Randy Bass. Randy, Randy Bass. Randy yeah. Bass, uh, who I personally was a big fan of. I was a little kid, and Tacoma's AAA team was the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. So we were the Tacoma Twins, and this this brute, this power-hitting dude uh, named Randy Bass was kind of the center of the team. And I know he did some time with uh, Minnesota. I know he was in that organization for uh, for the beginning of his career. Um, he did, like, I believe he did six seasons um, in the major leagues, different teams, usually a pitch hitter and stuff like that. Um, but it was following the 1982 season, uh, Randy Bass decided he's going to Japan, signed with the Hanshin Tigers. Did I say that right, Hanshin? Yep. Not to be confused with Sanshin, which is a strikeout. See that? Oh, very good. I, that. I, I, I got some pictures of they, they did all the game prompts in both Japanese text and then English. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Oh, that makes me proud. Maybe I should stop talking now and end on a high note. We'll see you next week, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Oh. George Costanza. Here we go. Um, <laughs> no, interestingly, he hit, um, let me look here. He hit 35 home runs in 1983. And he was basically, they consider him um, the like for single-handedly turning around the, the Henshin Tigers who had not been all that good up until then. Um, they became quite a good team, though, once Randy Bass joined. Now, here's interesting. In 1986, he became, he nearly became the first player in Japan to hit 400. He hit 389. And that record is still standing. Even though Ichiro challenged it in 94 and 2000. It did not happen. And so Randy Bass still has the record for highest batting average in a season. Now, here's something I found interesting. You were talking about limiting um, the number of foreign players and so on. Uh, yep. In, it was in 85 that uh, Randy Bass was having an unbelievable year. He, he actually had, uh, by the end of the year last game of the season, he had 54 home runs. Now, Sadahiro Oh, the biggest legend in Japanese baseball, has the record of 55 home runs in a single season. So Bass had a chance to tie or break that record. Last game of the season, they were playing the Yomiuri Giants, and they intentionally walked Randy each time. So he never got the shot to tie the, oh. to tie the record. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Do you know who the manager was of the Giants at that time? Uh, I'm going to guess that his name was Sadaharo O. You guessed correctly. Yes, it was uh, Sadaharo O who made the decision to walk him each time, thus preventing him from tying the record. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Now, they did that. You remember Tuffy Rhodes? Sure. I, I remember Tuffy Rhodes from here in the States because he was with the Cubs and he hit three home runs on opening day one year. Oh, yeah. Well, Tuffy Tuffy then didn't do much after that, and, and he likewise ended up in Japan, and he actually is, I think, the all-time still home run leader for foreign-born players um, there, but he likewise in 2001 hit his 55th home run to tie Sadaharo Oh. Oh, wow. And that record. And for the rest of that season, he was intentionally walked. I, I don't, I, I didn't find out when he hit that, but he likewise was, was not given the opportunity to break the record. So 
you know, after Tuffy was walked and wasn't allowed to uh, to break that record as well, actually in 2013, and you being a Mariner fan will remember this name, Vladimir Ballantine. Oh, sure. Uh, in 2013, he did break the record. Oh, wow. He ended up with 60 home runs. Oh, wow. 60. And I, I remember hearing about that because he was on such a pace that, you know, he would have had to have been intentionally walked for the last, like, two to three weeks of the season. Right, and I think there comes a point where you're like, you know, we don't, we don't want the record broken, but we, <laughs> we want to keep some, you know, legitimacy to the game. So, and and Vladimir is still playing there. He is on the Yakult Swallows. No kidding. And yeah, and and I was, I went to a couple of their team shops when I was walking around their stadium, and he is their star. He, uh, you know, they've got jerseys and, and pictures of him all all over the place. He is a very bankable star still in uh, in the NPB. That is impressive, Vladimir Valentin. Vladimir, that's W L A D I M I R, not Vladimir. Not Valentin. Vladimir. Valentin. Yeah. So no it's... V's. It's not Vladimir Valentine. Okay. Visa no, removed. It is, and it, Vladimir Valentine. There, I got it right. He's Dutch. Okay. From Curacao. That's what I would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. I have a little side story about Randy Bass that I found very amusing. You know, the Curse of the Bambino, Curse of the Billy Goat. Heard of it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Japan had what was called the Curse of the Colonel. Um, the Colonel? Yes. And it's, it's the colonel you're thinking of, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> what, what happened was, okay, following the – they won the 85 series. Okay, so they were all celebrating, and, and they were naming off the team members one by one. And, and then at each name, a fan who looked like that player would jump into the canal. Okay, so they were introduced <laughs> the player, and it would be someone who looked like him that jumped into the canal. Problem was nobody looked remotely like Randy Bass. He had a beard, and so did Colonel Sanders. So they found a statue. They took a statue from in front of a KFC of Colonel Sanders, and they chucked it into the canal. And it disappeared, and no one could find it. And it started what they called the Curse of the Colonel. And they went downhill for the next 18 years, which is nothing compared to the Curse of the Bambino. However, that's a long time to go from a championship team to just nowhere near the playoffs or anything. So it's kind of funny because um, it eventually was found. Uh, but before then, they made uh, all kinds of attempts to find the thing, to pull it out of there. They made offerings to the statues of the colonel for forgiveness, just all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff, trying to, trying to remove the curse. And uh, interestingly, uh, many of the KFC outlets, especially in Osaka, and Kobe, they moved their Colonel St- Sanders statues back inside to prevent them from being stolen by crazy <laughs> Tigers fans. So it, it's it's bizarre <laughs> how how KFC plays into the uh, the Randy Bass story. Eventually, it was found. A diver found it. They brought it out. It's uh, actually at a KFC right now, uh, across from Koshine Stadium. So you can go see the curse of the uh, colonel. You can go see the colonel himself. He's missing a hand, and it doesn't have glasses. But other than that, you can tell it's it's either Randy Bass or Colonel Sanders. So it sounds like they haven't won it since this. In 03, I'm trying to read my writing. 
when the Tigers returned to the Japanese series after an 18-year absence. So maybe they got but they there, didn't, but didn't win. win. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see. I, I see they won the pennant in 2003 and 2005, but their last championship was the the, the curse of the Colonel year in 1985. Now you know the rest of the story. There's our and there's our Paul Harvey reference. Good day. <laughs> so I, I've got some other interesting characters that that played in the uh, Japan League from the from the United States. Laron Lee. So he played for the Lotte Orines from 1977 through 87. And if I'm pronouncing or or or, or maybe it's the Orions, O R I O N S. My, my Japanese is already rusty a week out. Uh, but he played for them for a decade. He led the league in home runs and uh, RBIs in his first season. He won the batting title in 1980. In uh, 1978, though, he invited his younger brother, Leon, to come play with him in Japan. And the brothers formed a feared power-hitting duo. No kidding. Duo. I can't say that word. Duo. Um, so you've seen the film Mr. Baseball, sure. right? Yeah. I actually really enjoy that with Tom Selleck. And if you remember actor Dennis Haysbert, who's the, the Allstate guy, he plays, he kind of befriends when, uh, when, when Tom Selleck's character gets sent over. He befriends him and kind of shows him the ways of Japanese baseball. Well, it's believed that that character is based on experiences from, uh, from, the, from the Lee brothers. Which I thought was kind of cool because I, I enjoy that movie. Oh yeah, the, these guys were you know they were they were two big dudes, two big African American dudes in Japan. Which I can tell you, I felt I felt like a large human being yeah. while I was there. Yeah, she did. <laughs> so I can just imagine you know those guys walking around must have must have been pretty obvious. Yeah. Well, interestingly, and this is just me throwing in another who really cares note. Um, you talked about Dennis Haysbert playing that role. He was also Pedro Serrano in Major League. I just wanted to point he that absolutely out because I love was. that character. He certainly was. And he, he co-starred with the Joe Boo. That's right. Him and Joe Boo. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just another story from Japan, as I mentioned, you know, kind of, they'd be kind of obvious. The first Saturday that we were there, we, we traveled the same day that both teams did. And we were uh, at a very... A uh, very popular touristy street with a lot of a lot of shops, Takashita Street, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm walking around and I'm not expecting. I'm like, we're in Tokyo. I am not going to see anybody I know here, and so walking down a little side street. Oh, there's Fernando Rodney. <laughs> wow. I'm like, okay, that's one guy I'm not. I don't want to take a selfie with. Uh, keep walking, walking uh, up another street. And here comes a Dan Vogelback of the Mariners. Wow. Who's, you know, pretty hard to miss. Right. He's a he's a rotund, not a rotund, he's a thick guy. He's a big dude. So keep walking. Uh, we're in a department store going up an escalator. My wife's behind me. And here come a bunch of, of A's. And I, I come up, up the escalator. I make eye contact with Marcus Simeon. I go, hey, Marcus. And he nods at me. And my wife's like, who in the world are, do you know somebody here? And so the A's walk, and I, I, I tried to get a selfie with Marcus Simeon, but he he wasn't having any of it. So the next day, we travel a good half an hour on the train to go to a temple. To I I 
don't remember what the temple is named off the top of my head, but it's a big, you know, one of the big temples that everybody goes to. We get there first thing in the morning, walking down this side street. Here comes a guy in a hoodie. It's Marcus Simeon again. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you ran into Marcus Simeon twice, once by the hotel and once nowhere near the hotel. Neither of them were by. I don't know where they were staying. Once was in the shopping district, and then the other one was just at, at this, yeah, at this at this temple out like forty minutes out via train. I also ran into D. Gordon twice. He I saw him going into the Adidas shop, and then I saw him kind of wandering around there. And then the next night, we were staying in the Ginza district, which is unbeknownst to me at the time, it is the high end. It's the ritzy part of town there's gucci and louis vuitton all these are on this main street and so we're walking to dinner and right as we go by the dior shop we round the corner and they're standing right outside is felix hernandez awesome <laughs> and and i you know i instantly recognize him he's got a hoodie on he's his wife's inside he's just waiting outside and they go hey king which my wife is still teasing me about because <laughs> Instead of saying Felix, I said, hey, King. But he's like, hey. And so I stopped, talked with him for a little while, got a selfie. He was happy to to do it. And then we were on our way. That is I so, couldn't believe the amount of players I saw. That is so cool, though, with Felix. Because, you know, uh, regardless of of how he's pitching these days, and I still think he's got an upside, but he, he's, he's a total legend in Seattle, you know. So running into him is pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, it's... It, for me, you know, I know he's having a hard time kind of accepting that he is not really in the Mariners plans. And, you know, he's a number five starter at this point, if that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was he was very nice. He smiled. He was happy to talk. And I thought that was pretty cool. But, you know, just they really do stand out in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> These athletes, you know, they're they're a lot bigger than most people that are that are walking around. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I've got a couple more things here. The uh, well, Bobby Valentine. Uh, I think most baseball fans probably know about Bobby Valentine had a very successful managerial career in Japan. In Japan, so in 2005, he headed over to head the Chiba Lote Marines. And uh, first season, he led them to their first Pacific League pennant in 31 years. Oh, wow! And then he actually led them uh, to a playoff victory against the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks. Oh. The, the names are just hard because they, they throw the sponsor in the middle there. Did, didn't you have a, a SoftBank Hawks um, cap or no, it was uh, underwear. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got the whole collection, the whole, the whole Nippon <laughs> League. Uh, and, and after that victory, he took them to a four-game sweep of the Hanshin Tigers of the uh, in the Japan series. So first year, he takes them all the way. Following that championship, the Marines then went on to uh, win an inaugural Asia series, which the, the champions of uh, several countries in Asia all played each other. They defeated the Samsung Lions of the KBO in 2005. And Valentine was awarded the Golden Spirit Award and the Matsusara Soryoki Award, both first for non-Japanese individuals. Oh, wow. And if you've got time, there is a great documentary uh, made about Bobby Valentine uh, and his time 
in Japan. It's called The Zen of Bobby V. It's on Vimeo, so you can watch it for free. It's really interesting. Wow. Okay, I'm looking that up. He really brought a new attitude to the game there. You know, the Japan League teams are notorious for for these long practices, for shagging fly balls for hours. And he, you know, tried to make the game more fun, make it make it less of a grind. And but he was very respectful. And that's what they really liked. He learned Japanese. Uh, He was very respectful of traditions. And, you know, Bobby Valentine was always smiling, even when he was, you know, managing here or even hiding in the dugout with eye black on his upper lip he he always you know was a jovial guy yeah uh, we he's still alive i don't know why i'm saying i'm sure he still is he's still very much alive but yeah so bobby valentine is is clearly the the, the most successful manager a couple of other uh, people from the from the majors have gone over and tried to manage but they haven't even lasted a season just with the the, the english uh, to japanese you know, the, the difficulties of communicating and some other things. Nobody's even come close to being as successful as he was. I got one more thing for you. Okay. Uh, interpreters. So I wanted to talk about interpreters because much like when Japanese players come here to the States to play, they're often given an interpreter. Likewise, when, an, when a former major leaguer goes over there, they get an interpreter. So... One time, and I couldn't get a name. I could not find a name as to who this player was. But I did find a story about an American who played for the, your favorite team, the Nippon Ham Fighters. Gotta love the Ham Fighters. <laughs> so he was brushed back by a couple of consecutive pitches in a game. And he shouted to his interpreter, who's sitting in the dugout. He says, tell that pitcher, if he ever does that again, I'll bleep and kill him. Obviously, he said the real word. Right. Starts with an F. Yes. The interpreter, in turn, yelled out to the pitcher that the American player asked that you please don't throw at his head anymore because it makes his wife and children worry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's an interpretation, all right. It was. It was a loose interpretation. Took some to liberties say with it. Uh, on another occasion an American player told his interpreter to tell a television interviewer that he was no longer mad at an opposing player the interpreter then explained before the television audience that the gaijin was no longer insane (laughs) so there's some there's some I get it yeah some translation you know difficulty that comes up but I thought that was hilarious that's funny stuff I love mistranslations I have a just way off of the baseball thing, but somebody brought me a, a, a umbrella, a Mickey Mouse umbrella from China, and it got translated instead of Mickey Mouse. For some reason, it says "lovely rat." <laughs> <laughs> it's just "lovely rat" all over this uh, this umbrella. It's pretty awesome. All right, so you know, some foreign we we, we talked about some foreign players that did pretty well. Uh, there are some others that did not do so well in their time uh, over. In, in Japan, uh, former Milwaukee Brewer Rob Deere, who I loved Rob Deere, he signed for $2.5 million to play for the Hanshin Tigers. He hit 151 in his one season there for $2.5 million. Uh, former uh, Philadelphia Philly, Pete Incavilia. Oh, sure. He played for one season, earned $2 million, and hit 181. Wow. So... 
little bit better than Rob Deere. And former Baltimore Oriole Jeff Manto, who why in the world would you want Jeff Manto on your team in the first place? He earned a million dollars for three hits in ten games. So it's good work if you can get wow, it. Wow, I but. guess so. Unfortunately, I, I'm uh, very well known for being not very good at baseball. So I don't think that anybody's going to sign me anytime soon, unless you want an announcer to uh, say bizarre things in English. Or you could possibly be a ghost organist. <laughs> like my personal favorite ballpark organist, the one and only Art Foonman. It, it is. And I believe people can look up Art Foonman on the internet if they don't know who Art Foonman is. But he's a... He's a legend in the ballpark organist game. Yeah, he's uh, he is known for being quite dramatic and uh, really getting into his music. <laughs> Maybe we can find some video of that someday. I think I know where some is. Oh, good. We, we're happy to post that. We, we post a lot of things, in case you don't know, on our social media, which you can follow. That's part of how social media works. We post things, and then you look at it. And then you congratulate us by clicking on a heart or something like that below it that tells us that we're doing a good job. Yeah, leave us a note or something. Yeah, you you can follow us in, in, as well as communicate with us on social media. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is T W O Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. If you go and look, you will see plenty of pictures. I posted a whole bunch of pictures of my time in Japan. Some of that not even related with baseball, but some of it is. I, I recently posted a picture of the Hideki Matsui curry that I found. Nice. Yeah, I I did not buy it, but uh, if you want some curry made the way Hideki Matsui likes it, you can do that. It's interesting because I used to question what uh, Hideki Matsui <laughs> likes to eat. So How does he like his curry? Yeah, I've I wonder if he likes it spicy, less spicy. Who knows? Well, he's he's got two flavors, so you can pick. Oh, my gosh. I got to get over there. And there's, so there's something food-wise other than Kit Kats in Japan? Oh, my God. I was just looking in our refrigerator. We have, I think, 12 different flavors of Kit Kat, <laughs> two of which have alcohol in them, which is great. They're sake-flavored Kit Kats, yes. and they are actually alcoholic. Really? They They... Make sure to tell you that before you buy it. They're like, you do know this has alcohol in it. Our buddy Mitch, our cohort, uh, that's not as cool as us, he brought back some sake uh, Kit Kats, and I, I gave him a try. They were way more tasty than sake is, I can tell you that. But I had some raspberry. The raspberry are my favorite because I love raspberries, yeah. and that stuff is it very tangy, just like a raspberry. It was good stuff. Lots of flavored Kit Kats. Yeah, we tried some other flavors that were not so good. A lot of the tea flavors didn't really strike our fancy, but I did. Uh, I ate a lot of cow tongue, mm. which I've had. I've had cow tongue before, but we went to a nice uh, Kobe, not Kobe, a Wagyu beef dinner, and had uh, like cow tongue and and a lot of that Wagyu beef that I was looking forward to, as well as sushi for breakfast, which. I love sushi. I'd never had it for breakfast, but that was an experience as well. Yeah, is it a different type of sushi? 
it is the the same sushi. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I had I had roe, I had some uh, uni, which is my favorite sea urchin. But beyond that, yeah, there was salmon and tuna and some other stuff. Um, some really good. They they make these egg omelets that are not just what you think of as omelets. They're like cakes, but they're they're very sweet. And I guess that would be as as close to a, a breakfast uh, portion that we had there. Maybe I'll I took a picture of it. I'll I'll, pu- I'll put it up on social media of my my breakfast from it one morning. Kind of sounds like a fishy uh, Big Mac. No, no. Let's, hold on. Let me try <laughs> fishy that again. egg McMuffin. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. It sort of sounds like it's a uh, fishy egg McMuffin or something. It was, but but better. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. I love. I had sushi at the ballpark too. I had to make sure I I tried some there. My wife had a bento box. Oh yeah. Yeah, they had some. I put I posted some pictures of some interesting offerings at the ballpark food food wise. They have hot dogs. They did, but I did not try one because I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to to try some of the more unique stuff. I just wanted to see if they stuck to that uh, little tradition there. Yep, yep, yeah, they definitely do. They've got popcorn, you know. They've got they they've got all the usual stuff. They've got expensive beer, um, but yeah, it was uh, there were some some interesting offerings that that you could have while while watching the game. Oh, I I did while I was there. Uh, I also did take a picture specifically for you, as I was walking around the outside of the Tokyo Dome before the second game. I found a very small old lady walking around wearing a Nolan Ryan jersey. Nice! Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, so I I, I took a picture of her for you. I also took a lot of pictures. There was an anime. Uh, cosplay convention going on right next door on the second game as well. So all of these people in cosplay were dressed and, and milling about with thousands of baseball fans waiting to get in the stadium. So it made for a rather unique uh, That's cool. mixture of people. But I, I got, I've got a Nolan Ryan picture for awesome. you. Awesome. So you, were, you did a little people watching? I did a lot of people watching. A lot. It's very interesting. I also got to go meet the president of the uh, Oakland Athletics, Dave Cavall. The oh, wow. A's fans had a little meetup, went in there, and it was nice. They they bring you in. They shake your hand. I got a selfie with him. They've got a whole bunch of A's swag there, and they're like, go grab a bag and grab what you want. You know, they were, they were wow. I, you know, thank you for being here. The A's always try to seek out fans on road games and give them a pin that says, rooted on the road which rooted in oakland is one of their you know phrases that they use a lot so gotcha. i was excited that was it was nice to you know feel appreciated for going there we were certainly outnumbered by the number of mariner fans there so yeah, it was sure. nice to yeah. be with some some like-minded fans yeah well, that's cool i'm sure there were a good number of ace fans over there i saw i saw a bunch of them on uh, on the on tv so yeah, the, I mean, there were there were I, I met a lot of people when we were just out and about when I was wearing my my A's hat that would point and, and say, oh, you know, give me a thumbs up. One guy spoke a little bit of English and he said that he liked the A's because of their colors. And I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Well, you know, works, man. <laughs> that's funny. You know, I've been people watching yeah. a lot lately myself, mostly this one woman. But anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Is this the one with the restraining order? So you've got to watch through the binoculars and 
No, I have a restraining order from Santa Claus, and that is a whole other story for a whole different podcast. Ah, all right. Well, we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was very disappointed. The The first game, they had a big production. They had a big band out there and and to, to do the national anthems. And I'm going to assume that the singer, this very famous, I'm assuming he's a very famous Japanese guy, comes out in a in a tuxedo and they put his name up there and announce him. And I'm sitting with a bunch of A's fans that have flown over for the game. And I said, Oh, I, I was really hoping that, you know, Enrico Palazzo would be here. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. Nobody got it. Oh, Nobody on. got it. If anybody is singing in a, in a tuxedo, I'm going to make it an, an Enrico Palazzo. It's Enrico Palazzo. Come on. Anybody that doesn't recognize that, uh, just watch uh, the movie The Naked Gun, the original Naked Gun. Please. And and there's a baseball scene in it that is absolutely hilarious. So, second game, I actually had really good seats for the second game. I, we were just about even with first base. We were in the 11th row. Nice. And, uh, again, uh, sitting with mostly A's fans, uh, a lot more just Japanese fans, and then one Mariner fan that was the row ahead of us. And, you know, he's cool. He's you know, wants to talk with everybody. And then Ichiro comes up, and he, he brought a sign, and he holds it up. I'm trying to take pictures of Ichiro, and he holds it up right in my right in my viewpoint so i'm like hey you know can you can you move your sign i'm trying to take pictures he's very nice he did it um you know he's just there by himself an older gentleman he's got his glove and bottom of the fourth inning i, I want to go watch the game and see if i can find ourselves but he uh screaming line foul ball comes in our direction now i have been at so many ball games i sat right behind home plate for so long that if a ball's not coming right at me i'm not getting up especially if i don't have a glove i'm not going to break my hand for this thing so it's going to land in front of me and to my right so i don't i don't move this guy jumps up and dives across the two people next to him <laughs> and makes this incredible catch like he is diving across them you know his glove arm extended all the way out makes a great catch i i want to give him props you know, even though, you know, he, he got in my line of fire earlier, it was it was a good catch. And uh, I'm glad he was there with his glove because nobody else had a glove. That would have probably stung somebody. He, he must have had a premonition. He, he knew. But yeah, but you know what he did the, the entire rest of the game is he judged every other foul ball. Oh, oh you should have had that. Yeah, he, was, <laughs> he became an expert. Yeah, he was he was he was pretty full of himself after that great catch because <laughs> he spared nobody. That's funny. All right. So I think that'll do it for our Japanese edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you had fun. I had fun reliving uh, the, the the trip, uh, again, if you want to take a look on our social media at Two Strike Noise, I've posted a whole bunch of pictures. I'm probably going to keep posting, because I've got a million of them, I'll keep posting some more with some detail about where they were, just so you can kind of see it. Anything baseball related, I took a picture of, so I will try to work through all of those. I think next week, Mark, maybe we'll return to our normal format. We'll, we'll, we'll do a little long-form baseball history. Sure. And you want to do a second best next week? How about yeah, that? Yeah, let's for sure do a second best. 
because of that theme. Everybody loves yeah, that theme. People, two things people want. They want the theme on MP3, and they want swag. They want two strike noise swag shirts and stuff like that. Nail clippers. Oh, uh, Buddha cigarette lighter toenail clipper that makes coffee. I put me down for one if we can get those. <laughs> you didn't see any in Japan? Oh man! I saw a stormtrooper nut dispenser that, you know, utters stormtrooper phrases when you touch it to dispense nuts. That was that's uh, that's about as close as I got to that's that. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> wow, that was a total dad pun. Sorry, dad. Oi, oi. That that is definitely time. For us to wrap up this week's edition. Thank you very much. Uh, Mark and I will be back again next week. And uh, thank you again for joining us here on Two Strike Noise. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Good night. God bless. Batty God.